Well, welcome everybody. It is so good to be able to be together with you, especially on this Resurrection Sunday. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you. Um, I wanted to take a bit of a different tact as I begin this message today. I wanted to share just a little bit of the struggle that as pastors and preachers we go through, or at least I go through some of these struggles and these challenges, especially uh, during this season of the year and maybe Christmas as well. But, but, but for some other reason, it seems to be this season. And, and it's, it's, it's one of those seasons that is challenging because I recognize as a preacher that many people come to church that ordinarily wouldn't come to church simply because it's Easter, right? And so, and so what ends up happening is I I feel this pressure and it's, and it's, and it's self-imposed, but it's this pressure to, to preach the best message I can possibly preach, to, to deliver with eloquence the best message I possibly can so that hopefully, just hopefully, if you don't know Jesus, this will be the Sunday that you come to know him. It's a, it's a pressure that we feel knowing that maybe uh, this Sunday is the one Sunday that somebody's going to click on a link or have a video shared with them that they're going to watch, a sermon that someone's preached that they're going to watch. And they'll watch it because this is the one Sunday, maybe bar Christmas, that they choose to expose themselves to Christianity and the church. Maybe it's the one Sunday you're sitting with your family on a couch watching this message and you're only doing it because... Some of your family members know Jesus and call themselves Christians and they're forced you into this. I don't know, but, but I do know that this is a season where many people come to church or consider Christianity in a way that they don't for the rest of the year. And so there's this real desire in our hearts, at least in my heart, to, to see people come to know Jesus. And there's a self-imposed pressure to get it right and to make sure, because if I just say the right thing, Maybe if I say it in the right way, this will be the Sunday where, where you come to know and to love Jesus. Maybe this will be the Sunday because of what I say and how I deliver the message that you'll give your life to Jesus. And you'll enter into that relationship that so many of us have come to know and experience and value far beyond any other relationship or any other thing we have in our lives. And so there's this, there's this pressure to perform. And, and like I said, I think it's self-imposed. And I was really convicted by this thought. Because when I go to Scripture, I see Jesus doing things totally different to the way I would do them when a whole crowd gathers. You know, we don't want to lose that opportunity. And you're so valuable to the Lord. And every bit of effort we put in is so worth it. But if it's in our own strength, and if it's, and it's for our own glory, and if it's because of what I've said that you've got saved, or have come to know Jesus, or anybody comes to know Jesus, then that's not really a genuine salvation. It needs to be because of what the Lord has done. And, and I see Jesus just doing things differently. Right when, when crowds came together, Jesus didn't preach more eloquently. In fact, sometimes he confused them more than anything else. You know, Jesus didn't try and make it easy for people. In fact, sometimes he made it more difficult for them to know him and to follow him. He does the complete opposite to what in my heart sometimes I want to do in this season. Right? If I, if I look at, if I look at Luke chapter eight, verse, verse four to eight, it says this, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. This is like, this is like Easter happening. People are coming out of the woodwork to see Jesus. Maybe they've heard about his miracles. Um, maybe they've, they've heard testimony from somebody else about, about how he's healed somebody and, and, and what a great teacher he is. But they're coming 
from everywhere to meet with Jesus. And it says a great crowd were gathered around him. It says this, Jesus told this parable. Here's what he says. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path and it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up and, and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's it. You know, I was, I was just thinking about this. I'm like, that is crazy. That's not what I would have done in this season or in this situation that Jesus found himself in. I mean, imagine if I were to say to you, right, guys, I've just done the intro to the sermon and, I, and I'm going to step out and Jesus is going to come in and everyone's like getting really excited. And then, and then Jesus enters the frame and all he says to you is, hey, guys, there was once this farmer who sowed some seed. Some got trampled on and eaten by birds. Some didn't really grow that well because its roots were shallow. Uh, some, some got choked up by thorns, but some grew. If you get it, you get it. You don't, you don't. You know, like, I mean, that's exactly what Jesus does. Yeah? And I'm like, I'm like, but why? Why does Jesus do this? In the next couple of verses, he tells his disciples exactly why he did it. He says this in verse 9. After his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, so that though they hear, they may not understand. So what Jesus is saying to them is that I'm actually deliberately trying to confuse them. I'm speaking this way so that they don't understand. So I'm in their presence and they see me, but they don't really see me. I'm in their presence and they hear me, but they don't really hear me. They don't, they don't understand. And again, the question is, but why does Jesus do this? Why on earth would he do this? Why, why doesn't he feel the way I feel and, and seize the opportunity and make it as clear as possible to people? And in a sense, try and like shove it down your throat and be like, hey, I am awesome. Jesus is awesome. Jesus does this because... He wants to make sure that those who come after him really want to hear from him. Jesus did this so that those who really want to know what he was saying come and seek him. Jesus did this so that it separates those who are really listening and who understand that whatever he says is life, whether they understand it or not, from those who are just there because it was hype. Just because it was a done thing and everybody else was doing it. Jesus does this so that those who truly want to receive from him would come after him. Like his disciples did. They come after him. And Jesus clarifies the, um, the parable for them. They come after him after he said this. And, and they ask for clarification. And Jesus goes, hey, I, I do this so that people can do what you're doing. But let me tell you what the parable means. It says, the seed that was sown along the path that gets eaten by the birds and trampled on is like people who receive the word and the truth about me. And as soon as they hear the word Jesus, they go, well, that's it, I'm out. I want nothing to do with God. Don't come to me with your God business or your Jesus business. Those are people whose hearts are hardened to the gospel. They're like a seed that falls on the path. He says, then there's the rocky soil. You know, people receive the word that gets shared with them about me. And, and, and the seed takes root and it, and it grows. But it grows very quickly, but it's got shallow roots. And when trying times come and when testing times come, 
Jesus says, when, when the struggles of this world hit and persecution hits because you're a Christian, they fall away from me. Jesus says, and then there's another type of seed that lands uh, between thorns and weeds. And, and this also grows, but as it grows, so do the weeds and the thorns around it. And those thorns and weeds are like the troubles of life, the hardships of life. And people get caught up with pursuing money. They get caught up with pursuing the pleasures of this life and the things of this world. And they forget about me and, and the thorns and the weeds choke that plant and it dies as well. But then there's a fourth seed and it's a seed that lands on fertile soil. The seed that takes root and grows and bears fruit for God. And God says, those are the people that I'm speaking to. Those are the people whose hearts are soft and the soil of their heart is, is fertile and ready to receive the gospel. I speak like I do in parables so that those with tender hearts and soft hearts would come after me. Because those whose hearts are ready for the gospel will come after me. Their hearts are ready to receive and they want to know what I have to say. You see, Jesus, he really wants to speak to those who really want to listen. The rest of the seed, he says, well, that's like, that's like wasting your time. Going to go water seed that isn't going to grow in. My prayer for us and, and, and my prayer for you today as you listen to this message is that you would be like the person whose heart is soft. Where the soil is ready to receive the seed of the gospel and that it would grow and bear fruit and take deep root in your life and that your life would be changed. So I guess the real question is this. How badly and how desperately do you want to know the truth? Are you watching this message simply because it's the done thing? It's the thing that you do during this time of the year? Are you watching uh, because a family member has forced you or because you feel obligated to because it's the season of the year? Who are you watching because you want to know Jesus? Because you want to enter into a living, dynamic relationship with Him? Because something in your heart is telling you that Jesus has the words of life. And there's something about the Scriptures when they're read, regardless of who's reading them, that brings life and joy to your heart. If that's why you're watching, I pray that God would speak to you today and that your life would be transformed. And the reason why I've taken the time to preface the message I'm going to share with you today with this uh, truth or with, or with these comments is because today we're looking at and going to be unpacking one of the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith. In fact, it's so fundamental and so core to the Christian belief that just about everything we believe hangs on this truth. And for the Christian and, and for the one seeking Jesus, because of this truth, the implications are too wonderful for words. But for the one who rejects this truth, for the one who rejects this truth about Jesus and this news about Jesus, the implications are too terrible to imagine. And of course, that truth that we're unpacking today is the fact that Jesus Christ is resurrected. He was crucified, dead and buried. But on the third day, Jesus rose again. And today we're going to be looking at that and what the implications of the resurrection are for us and what they are for you today. And I pray that you would be like that person who hears Jesus and although it might be confusing to you and you don't fully understand, you come after him because you want to understand. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would make it clear for you today, the words that he has to speak into your life. So we're going to be reading from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 to 9. And we'll come up on the screen and here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance 
that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Christianity, God's word says in this passage of scripture, is a living hope. And adding the word living is incredibly important because a living hope is far better and completely different to any other type of hope, especially a dead hope. Jesus rises again from the dead. He is resurrected and it proves that God has power over sin, power over death, power over your past and is able to transform your life. Satan has no power over him. Because of the resurrection, nothing else in all of history needs to be done for the forgiveness of sins so that people can be reunited with God and enter into a relationship with Him. And that includes you today, regardless of how far you feel you are from the Lord. But the resurrection not only proclaims a living hope, it also proclaims an eternal inheritance. Because Christ rose from the dead and He has victory over sin and death, And Satan, he is eternal. Everything that he has is eternal. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings. No enemy can touch him. His kingdom will never end. And he has all the riches of the kingdom of God at his disposal to give to his people as an inheritance. And that inheritance and those riches are far beyond our wildest dreams. So as you're watching this today, I want to say this to you. That this is what the resurrection proclaims. This is what it means for us. It is a living hope and an eternal inheritance for those who believe in Christ. But there's also more. And we're going to unpack the text that we've just read. And I'm going to unpack six significant things for us. And and, and it's not going to take too long. But there's six really deep significant truths that apply to us. And there are realities for us. And for those who are seeking Jesus and will find him. Because of the resurrection. The first one is this, and it comes from from verse 3. It says, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Point one, significant thing number one. Because of the resurrection, we can be born again. God chooses to use and to speak in the language of rebirth and, and, and being born. Because that's exactly what happens to a Christian. Any mother that has given birth knows that a child cannot birth itself, right? Cannot birth him or herself. There's a lot of effort on the part of the mother and on the part of the doctors to bring a new child into the world. And likewise, with our salvation, you cannot save yourself by anything that you do. No good works can bring you into the kingdom. You can't rebirth yourself and and birth in yourself the salvation that comes from God. Only God does it in your life. And that is only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. 
Rather, it's the one, it's God who's the one who causes us to be reborn. And that's really what is so beautiful about the gospel. When I came to know Jesus, there was so much stuff in my past, in my life, that I thought God could not forgive me for. And really and truly inside I was dead and I felt like everything in me needed to be brought to life. And I found out that Jesus doesn't take bad people and make them good. So much that's an indictment that's been pushed towards Christians that they call themselves better than others. They think they're perfect. A genuine Christian knows that they're not perfect. A genuine Christian knows that Jesus doesn't take a bad person and make them good. What Jesus does, what is at the core of the gospel is this. Jesus is king and when you give your life to him, he takes someone that was dead and makes them alive again. Jesus takes what was dead and makes it alive. That's why God says that through the resurrection, we have this hope of rebirth. When we humble ourselves... And we know that we can't save ourselves and we repent and we acknowledge Jesus Christ as a savior of the world and our personal Lord and Savior. And we give our, our lives to him. He takes what was dead in us and makes it alive. And for the first time you experience this living, spiritual relationship with Jesus that goes far beyond any words and the descriptions words can bring. The second thing that's so exciting for us because of the resurrection is not only can we be saved, but that we can know and love and be in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what it says in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Because the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, because he died, because he was buried, and because he was resurrected and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Because of that, we can have new life. But better than that new life is the fact that that new life means relationship with Jesus. It is something so much better than salvation itself. And that might sound weird, but if I was just saved... If I was just saved, but, but, but I wasn't able to enter into a relationship with Jesus, that salvation would be really empty. Salvation is so full and meaningful, not only because we become alive in Christ and inherit eternity, but because it means relationship with Jesus. You can walk with him and know him. I was listening to somebody, one of my friends, talking to me about how they go for a walk in the forest with Jesus and they just laugh together. I was walking with a friend uh, on the beach the one day, and we were talking about normal day-to-day life things. And he said to me, come Rodan, let's just stop and pray and thank God for this. And we walked and we spoke a little bit more, and we're like, well, let's praise God for that. And it was just so beautiful to be able to do that with a friend, knowing that we know, even though we're together, God is with us, and we can talk to him at any time. And he's interested in the conversation. He's interested in my life. He wants to know my heart. He wants to know your heart. He wants to know what you're going through. And he's made that possible for you to interact with him because of the resurrection of Jesus and what Jesus has done for you on the cross. So we can have relationship with Jesus because of the resurrection. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 to 10. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. You see, to Paul, knowing Jesus was the be all and end all of life. Take anything and everything else that had been given to him and he considers it rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. 
And I want to say to you, if you're out there and you don't know Jesus, you may have been hurt by the church, you may have been hurt by Christians or people who call themselves Christians, you may have been hurt by something else that's got you to question whether God loves you and whether God's there. I want to say this. The Lord Jesus Christ died for you, was dead, buried, and resurrected so that you can have a relationship with him. And the best gift that could ever be given to you, that's beyond compare to anything else you've ever experienced in your life, is the person and relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ. If you read the Bible very carefully, or if you allow someone to tell the gospel to you, or, or to share the message of the truth of Jesus with you, you'll, you'll realize that God is more interested in you than you are actually in him. God wants your companionship. He doesn't need it. He wants it. God wants you to be close to him. God wants you close to himself. He doesn't need it. He wants it. And he offers that to us freely. A parent, I've got two beautiful children, Abby and David, and, 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 and my wife and I love them to bits. But those moments that are so special for us are when our children come up to us and they say, Mom, Dad, we love you. We love you. Can I have a kiss or can I have a hug? Or when they've got the choice of, 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 of playing together or, or being somewhere else in their room, playing with toys or whatever it is that they want to be doing or whatever it is that they do to keep themselves busy. When instead of doing that, they come and they hang out with us and they just cuddle. And they just sit on the couch. I asked my boy the other day, Dave, what are you doing? He was just sitting on the couch with me while I was reading something. And he said, I just want to be by you. And I, it's like, I couldn't read in that moment. I had to put the book down and, and just, just love him and hold him. And be with him. And I want to say this to you. Any parent that's experienced that has only a shadow and has only a small glimpse. Has only a blurred perspective of what God feels like when people come to him and go, Lord, I love you and I want to be with you. We only have a, a, a small glimmer of what the father feels when, when a believer comes to him or when someone who repents for the first time comes to him and says, Lord, I love you and I want to put my faith in you. I trust you. You are the risen king. You're bigger and better than anything in my life. You're better than my fears. You're better than my disappointments. You are the risen Lord. You are King Jesus and I give my life to you. We have no idea how God feels when that happens. God's word says that if just one of you who don't know him come to know him and put your faith in him as he draws you near to him, all of heaven celebrates. I don't know how old you are, but I had a 30th birthday party seven years ago. And my wife did a really good job of spoiling me and it was fantastic to spend time with friends and with family. It was such an honor to be celebrated. And I really valued that time. But those were just friends and family and people that I love. And I was on it. But when you come to know Jesus, when I came to know Jesus, the angels and God himself celebrates. What a wonderful thought that is to know that your life is worth that much. That all of heaven will stop and take a break to celebrate Jesus and Jesus coming into your life. I pray that that would happen for you today. The third thing that's so significant for us because of the resurrection is this. Because of the resurrection, we are protected by God. It says this in verse 4 and 5. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith, who being you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. 
We who have been born again, who know Jesus, are protected by God and, and guarded by His power until the day of salvation, until Jesus comes back to fetch us, or until we are resurrected from the dead and are with Him on judgment day. In beating Satan, death was destroyed. Sin was defeated. And Christ's resurrection proves that God is all-powerful. There is no power, nothing at all in all of creation that can undo what God has done and that can take away from you what God has given to you in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, His Word says, then who can stand against us? We are being guarded by God's power through faith for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the future. This is not to say that we're not going to go through hard times as Christians. It's not to say that life isn't going to be tough and that somehow as a Christian you're going to escape the difficulties of life. No, this promise of protection relates to our salvation. It's a promise that God's strength is there to guard and to protect for us what he has bought for us and paid for us to have in Christ Jesus. That which we will receive in Christ one day when he comes back again as we pursue him in faith. In other words, nothing or no one can snatch you from the hand of God and nothing can snatch away from you what God has given to you because God is there to guard and to protect and to keep in his power the things that he has given to his people as a promise. Paul echoes this, this truth in, in Romans chapter 8 when he writes this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing truth to know that because of the resurrection, what God has promised you is yes and amen in Jesus. And it will never be taken from you, nor can it be taken from God. In other words, because God is all-powerful and He makes a promise, He will deliver on that promise because of the resurrection of Jesus. And you will get what God has promised you because Jesus has been resurrected and God is faithful. The fourth thing that the resurrection means for us is this, that, that we can survive suffering. It says this in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. We see in verse 6 that, that Peter first tells his readers who are going through a tough time that, that, that this testing has come to, to shape your faith. They, they were grieved by all sorts of trials, various trials it says, but something strange was happening to them. Even though they were going through tough times, like a lot of us are at the moment, even though they were suffering and being grieved through a myriad of different things, these Christians were suffering differently. They hadn't lost their joy. They hadn't lost their kingdom perspective. They were surviving through suffering because of the truth of the resurrection and of what was coming their way when this world fades away. In fact, the suffering that they were going through was producing great fruit in them and was yet to produce even greater fruit. The fruit that was being produced was the refining of their faith. They were being made more like Jesus. 
They were being made more like Jesus in their suffering. God was stripping away the material. God was stripping away the selfishness, the self-centeredness, the narcissism that comes from our fleshly nature controlling who we are and how we live. And even more to the point, it says that their faith as it's being refined, when Jesus comes back again, will stand as an example to everyone of how glorious God is. And it's going to result in glory, honor and praise one day when Jesus reveals himself and the salvation that he's promised for you is given to you. How wonderful to know that that is true for us in our suffering, that we don't suffer for nothing. The Christian is the only person alive where there is for them purpose in suffering, where there is purpose in suffering, where suffering produces fruit. That's because of the resurrection. There's such a great lesson for us that because of the resurrection, we have a living hope no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're going through, there is an internal and eternal inheritance for us that no trial, no temptation, and no struggle can take away from us. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can survive suffering. And that's, again, what Paul says a little bit more in Romans 8. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What trouble or what hardship or, or what persecution or famine or nakedness or danger could take us away from Jesus? Nothing. He says, for as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. The fifth thing is this, that because of the resurrection, we can rejoice with joy. We can rejoice with joy because of the resurrection. It says this, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Our Savior lives. Brothers and sisters, our Savior lives. And when we consider that we have a living hope, that we have an eternal inheritance, that we have new life and that he gives it to us, that we are protected and provided for because of our Father who loves us, that He brings us through suffering, that honor and glory await us and Him because of the work He's doing in us, and that we can have eternal relationship with Him. When we consider those things, it's not possible to not rejoice and be joyful. It's not possible to not say, God, you are glorious Take anything and everything. My heart is filled with joy. It's overflowing. I just want more of you regardless of my circumstances. I just want to make a point of clarification quickly. I think, I think too often uh, joy is confused with happiness. And there's this weird assumption that because you're a Christian, you have to always be happy. But happiness is an emotion. And, and, and certainly there, there are times, and in fact, more often than not, Happiness as an emotion is attached to joy. Joy would certainly be considered in, to be in the happy bracket. But I think sometimes we do an injustice to just how deep and how rich joy is. And I think we, we do an injustice to the understanding of what joy is by associating it with an emotion like happiness. See, happiness is based on happenings. If things happen well for you, if things are going well, we tend to be happy. And when sad things happen, we're not happy, we're sad. And not being happy is not a problem. Sadness is part of life. People lose loved ones. People go through tough times. 
And as Christians, we're not unrealistic. We're not eternal optimists in the sense that we should always be happy and always be feeling good. But we should always be joyful. Because you see, happiness, although it's emotion, joy is not. And happiness may be good, but we ebb and flow out of happiness based on our circumstances. And that's okay. Joy, though. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is an attitude. Joy is a state of being that is not based on circumstances or situations. Joy comes from knowing and believing that all the promises and everything that God has said he would give to you is yes and amen in Jesus, regardless of what you're going through. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the situation you find yourself in, God's promises remain true for you in Jesus. They are yes and amen. And because of that, we can have joy. Knowing that you can strip everything away from me. You can take everything that this world has to offer, but you can never take Jesus. And that brings joy. See, God's word says that the joy of the Lord is our strength in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. What the guys were going through in Nehemiah was really tough. They had to rebuild the walls of the city during tough times, hard times. Not everyone was happy. But there was joy knowing that God was with them. That he would never leave them or forsake them. And what he had said would happen, would happen. And that's where we find our joy. And without Jesus, my friends, you cannot experience this joy. Because without Jesus, your only hope and your only possessions and your only future are here in this world. And when this world fades away and when Jesus comes and he wraps up all of eternity... When the skies are ripped open and the armies of heaven come in with the trumpet call of the archangel of God. And on that day, on judgment day, when Jesus separates the goats from the sheep, those who believe in him and those who didn't. If your hope was not in Jesus on that day, everything for you ends and you step into a different type of eternity. For the believer, oh man, that's the day we live for. Because of the resurrection, that day is going to be a glorious day where we step into an inheritance. That God has set aside for us to inherit in Christ Jesus. And on that day, because of the resurrection, we're going to experience a happiness and a joy that is everlasting that can't be compared to anything you've ever experienced before. And we're going to step into eternity with Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's, that's one of the other points. But, but just to say this, because of the resurrection, Christians can be joyful in and out of every circumstance. And the last point is this, and I sort of jumped ahead of myself, is that because of the resurrection, you will gain eternal life. It says in verse 9, For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, because of the resurrection, you will see God, you will be with God, and you will live for eternity in the presence of God. If you're a Christian, through the resurrection, you possess a living hope into an eternity that's never going to end. It's never going to fade away. It's never going to be taken from you. We're going to be entering into the new Jerusalem, where heaven and the new earth that God has created somehow is going to be merged together. And we're going to be in the presence of the living God for eternity. All of this because of the resurrection, what Jesus has done for us. Salvation is not a mirage. Salvation is not fake. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19 to 22. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. What he's saying there is this. 
that if our hope in Christ is a hope in a dead God and a Jesus that hasn't been resurrected and our hope in Jesus, if it is only for this world and what he can give us in this world, then we are of all people to be pitied because what the Christian goes through and what the Christian gives up because of Jesus is immense in the eyes of the world. But then he goes on to say this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. And that's what we celebrate today. He says, Christ has indeed been raised. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Those of you who come to Jesus, I want you to know this. And those of you who are seeking truth and are, and are just flirting with this idea of giving your life to Jesus, is just tugging on your heart. I want to say this to you. Salvation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a mirage. It is not fake. It's not fiction. Although some would relegate it to the fiction section in the library, I want to say to you, Jesus Christ is real. Salvation and the Christian walk and knowing Jesus is not some psychological crutch. It is real and you can obtain it. Salvation is possible because Jesus rose from the grave. If Jesus had not risen, everything I would have said to you today, everything I'm saying to you today would be rendered useless and rubbish. And that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians. If Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, nothing about Christianity would be true. Jesus would then have just been a good man who lived a relatively good life, but was nothing more than human. God himself inhabited human flesh. God himself became human and lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you, paid the price, was buried and resurrected. And because of that resurrection, there is life for you in eternity if you would just come to know Jesus. Jesus himself said this about himself in John chapter 8 and chapter 14. Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the life of light. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then he also says this of himself. If you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're listening to this today and you don't know Jesus... If you would just come to him, if you would come to a place where you go, Lord, I want to put my faith in you. Jesus, I'm scared and I'm terrified of, of, of what's about to happen. But I realize that I can't deny you anymore. I feel like I haven't been able to come to you because of all the stuff in my life. But I realize today you take me as I am. You've paid the price and you will consider it gone if I come and repent to you. And so I want to come to you today and I want to repent of my sin and I want to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. If you do that today, if you acknowledge him as the risen king, declare dependence of him and repent of your sin, I want to promise you this. Because of the resurrection, you will be saved. Because of what God has done in and through the person of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. question I want to ask you is, is your heart the good soil today? 
Have you come to hear the words of Jesus for the sake of hearing them because others are? Or have you come to hear, to hear the word of Jesus and respond to him? If the answer is yes, then for you today, the resurrection changes everything. And that's the truth. If you're a believer, I want to remind you that today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which changes everything. There is no one like our God. There is no one greater than King Jesus. And we get to celebrate him and live life for him, especially in a season that we're in now. We get to glorify him and show the world how great our God is. So as we end off, I want to pray for you. I wonder if you close your eyes and pray with me. Father, I want to pray for all of those today who are listening and who've heard this word, whose hearts have been softened and whose hearts are fertile soil. God, I pray, bring salvation to those homes. Bring salvation to those lives. May people respond to you. And if that's you, I just want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I come to you today with a repentant heart, a heart that is softened with soil that is ready to receive and that has received the word. Please water it with your spirit. Forgive me for my sin. Come and transform my life and may I step into, because of your grace and mercy, the life that you've promised those who come to you would have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And Lord, I want to pray for your people out there, brothers and sisters in the faith. Lord, strengthen them, encourage them. May they be reminded of the hope and the joy and the glories and the riches that we have in Christ because of the resurrection. And Lord Jesus, may your name be made great in this time through your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that first prayer and, 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 and if you gave your life to the Lord today, I want to encourage you to get hold of us. I want to encourage you to, to email us. You can, you can get hold of the pastor's email addresses on our church website. Uh, please go to connectchurch.org.za. Uh, we, would, we would love to contact you. We'd love to be in touch with you. If you prayed that prayer and you came to know Jesus, share it with a family member. Let somebody know. Phone a friend. But let them know and let us, let us be in contact with you. We'd love to walk that journey with you. And if you're already saved and you're a believer, may the Lord strengthen you. Rejoice in the resurrection because Jesus has bought you at a great price and will never let you go. Bless you and amen.